the former slave ship captain, pastor, hymn writer, John Newton, wrote of his life in that great hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Newton could have easily written those words as a kind of picture of what we read about here in Luke chapter 15, wherein we learn about the lost and about the found. We learn about, in particular, we learn all of these things from particularly this story that might be said to be the greatest story that has ever been told and what might be called the, part, the story of the prodigal son. We're going to think about it maybe a little more fuller than that in a moment. But before we get into these things, you should know in these three parables, we got to know the occasion of these three parables. What is it Jesus is addressing in these three parables? The occasion is critical to understand because the occasion will directly impact our understanding of the characters in these parables. And we can see the occasion there, right there in those first two verses of chapter 15. The tax collectors, which would have been known to have been the traitors of their day. The tax collectors and the sinners are all drawing near to Jesus. They're coming to Jesus. And the reality is, friends, they still do. I know because I'm one of those sinners that has come to him. And so there's something attractive about Jesus to people. Uh, there's something about uh, there's something about the love of Christ, the beauty of Christ, that the kind of forgotten people of the world seem to find uh, attractive in him, and they are lured towards him. Luke wants us to see that the riffraff, the kind of cultural rejects, are coming to this upstart preacher from Nazareth who is preaching about the kingdom of God. And while the kind of cultural rejects might be coming near to Christ, the cultural elites, on the other hand, they're not happy about it. They are said to grumble, the Pharisees and scribes saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him. For Jesus to eat with sinners, that would mean that he was welcoming them. And that, friends, is the occasion of Jesus' telling of these heartwarming yet confrontational parables. Sinners and tax collectors coming to him, the religious elites grumbling about it all. And as we evaluate these three parables, you need to note the three common core elements in all three of the parables. In all three parables, you find something lost. All three parables, something found. And in all three parables, you find joy coming in response, corporate joy coming in response to being found. Those are the three core elements. But what's the big idea? Obviously, the the kind of the, the being found, the joy there is where it goes, but what's Jesus trying to teach? Well, he's trying to teach, friends, about the joy of repentance. That's what these three parables are about. The joy of repentance. Repentance is the point in each of these parables. Repentance is the kind of mechanism, uh, the kind of hands and feet of the Spirit of God to seek out the lost and bring them home into the joy of the Father. That's what's going on in these passages. 
You can see repentance in all three parables. You can see it in verse 7, verse 10, and verse 21. Now it's interesting, isn't it? If we were to put, to ask you, what's the top that give you joy? I'm pretty sure that none of us would have said repentance. And yet that seems to be what Jesus is emphasizing as one of the greatest joys in all of heaven. So let's move into this first parable here. We see Jesus tells a parable of a hundred sheep. Strays, one gets lost, goes away. What do you do? Imagine yourself as a shepherd. One gets away. What do you do? Well, you go after it, right? You go after the sheep. You go looking for the sheep. You go seeking out the lost sheep. You leave the 99 to go after the one that is vulnerable. It's in a bad place that maybe maybe made some bad choices that you know now is in a bad place. The one that you know needs you. You go after them. And you're out there looking for that sheep. How long? Night and day. Sweating. Wanting to know where they are. Calling out their name. Lucy! Because you know your sheep by name. And your sheep know your voice. Lucy! Screaming, looking, looking. And how long do you look for this sheep that is strayed? Look at verse 4. How long do you look? Well, you look until you find the sheep. You don't stop until you find the sheep. And when you find that sheep, oh, the joy. Maybe you see it caught in a thicket. Maybe you see it sort of, it doesn't see you yet. It's sort of scared, wandering around. But when you see it and when they see you, Oh, the joy. You rejoice, right? That's what you do when you find it. You rejoice. You rejoice. And do you rejoice alone when you pick up that sheep and put it on your shoulders? No. You don't rejoice alone. You invite others into that joy, right? You come home. You get your friends, your neighbors. You call up Travis and Winston and Susan and Dan and Taylor. Come on over. I found him. I found her. You call all of your friends and you share the joy of the lost sheep that was found and they come over and they all rejoice with you and you never forget that day for the rest of your life. The same is true of the coin. Woman. Let's call her Andy. She has 10 silver coins. Coins are pricey coins. We might say they're worth $100 a piece. In other words, these are valuable coins. And Andy loses not five coins, not three coins, just one coin. And what does she do when she loses it? What does she do? Well, she lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. She seeks, it says, diligently to find that valuable corn. Today we might say that she turns over the cushions to look for it. She goes through the trash. She crawls on the floor. She skips lunch because she's so intent on finding this coin until eventually finding it because this thing is so valuable. Where does she see it? But it's under the refrigerator. And she pulls it up and she looks at it. And what does she do? She rejoices, right? She found the coin. She finally found the coin. And does her joy stay to herself? No. She invites others into that joy. Right, we can imagine that maybe Anne sent a text message out to her prayer chain. Lost the coin. Be in prayer, looking for it, until eventually 
Right? What do you do when you find it? You invite others into the joy, so you send a picture of the coin on the text message out to your prayer chain with a little gif of you going like this. Right? You found it. And everybody's joyful with you. Corporate joy. You invite others into the joy. You say, verse 9, when you find the coin, verse 9, Joyce, circle that word, with me, for what was lost and was of great value, it's been found. And then Jesus says in verse 7, so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. There's our word, repentance. There will be more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now listen, knows that everybody needs repentance. His point is not attention to the 99. His point is to draw attention to the one. He wants us to understand the level of joy that comes to God when someone repents. The level of joy that should come to all of us when we see someone repent and come to God, as opposed to those grumbling Pharisees. Jesus is trying to help us see that the grumbling of the religious elite does not fit with the heart of God or the angels of heaven over the one sinner who repents. And Jesus says the same thing in verse 10 about the coin. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So here's the line, God repentance leads to transcendent joy repentance leads to transcendent joy repentance is turning if we had a definition of this repentance repentance is a turning repentance is turning from sin to god and there's thousands of ways that we can sin right but there's only one way back home Repentance, turning from sin to God, you know, is rebellion against God, against God's laws, against God's character, against God's beauty. Sin is rebellion against God. As we will see, sin is like treating God as though you don't want him, as though he were dead to you. It's going your own way. And repentance is turning from sin to God. Repentance turning from actions and attitude that rebel against God and then they turn to actions and attitude reflect the heart of God but at the end of the day if you get nothing else out of repentance repentance is coming home it's a turning around and a coming home and when that happens all of heaven rejoices because you've been found and so therefore God sees David Savickus when he repents and believes he sees David, he sees David Hill he sees Jody Kim. He sees Frank. Sees you when you repent. He sees you and he rejoices. He says, when he sees you repent, Christopher Engelbrecht, when he sees you repent, he rejoices. He says, yes, he's coming home. And the angels, they see it. Just one sinner. How many today has this, how many people today has this happened already? How many, how many people this morning? Repent. How much do the angels look forward to Sundays? And of course, every day, because people are repenting and believing every day, but especially on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Repentance is being lost and then being found and then the joy of heaven. And so, friends, what's wrong with the world? 
There's a lot of opinions about that. What's wrong with the world? Well, we Christians would understand the world is that the world is lost and it needs to be found. And how does it get found? How does the world get found? Through repentance. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and fall short of His beauty, His character. I have, you have. All of us. All of us have like sheep wandered away. All of us like that coin are lost. But when we are found, which is to say, when we turn around from rebelling against God to coming home to God, when we are found unparalleled cosmic joy, transcendent joy when we come home to Him, when sinners turn from sin and come home to God. And guys, did you notice? Did you notice who's to the person that's lost? Did you notice who's doing the seeking? And this who's doing the seeking? Who is the kind of father? Who's the woman? Who are they? Who are they meant to represent? It's not you and me. To represent God. The Lord is the one that is the seeker to the ones that is lost. The Lord is the one to understood leaving the 99, the one that is lighting the lamp, the one that is diligently searching. The Lord is the one that seeks out. And so on this side of the cross and the resurrection, we would understand that the Spirit of God is the one that is going out into the open country to track down His people and bring them home. The Lord is the seeker. So friends, when it comes to salvation and sanctification, salvation and sanctification, we are not the seeker. God is the seeker. And so this is what I mean by seeing the heart of God. See the heart of God in that, friends. See that God's heart is broken for the lost. So much so that he goes out and tracks us down and finds joy. And we see that in the coming. Jesus Christ left the home of heaven. Come down to find out wandering sheep on the earth and he jesus came to he didn't he say it himself he said seek a lost isn't that what jesus said he came he left heaven to come and to seek and to save the lost that's what jesus understood his mission to be and so therefore for those of us that have repented and believed and trusted in our shepherd we are the ones that are found by him because he sought us out he sought you out and if you've trusted in him, he has joy in finding you. He is glad that you are his. Glad that he found you. He does not have regrets that he found you. He's so happy to have found you, the seeker. And all of this sets up, friends, the meaning of the parable that comes next. With the basic ingredients of being lost and found, and found meant to live repentance, we turn to this amazing story. This wonderful story. In verses 11 to 32, guys, they're not just about the prodigal son. As I mentioned before, father and the older brother as it is about the younger brother. And this story is meant to teach us about the heart of God and the hearts of men that are lost and need to be found. Look there in verse 12 as we move into the story. The son goes, he asks for his share of the estate. 
And by the way, what that means, friends, when he asked for his share of estate in verse 12, what he's asking there is he's saying, I want to live as though you're dead. When the younger son comes to the father, I want to live as though you're dead. I realize maybe that's not the conscious thought of the son, but that's the functional reality of his question. Maybe some of you have received an inheritance because of love and die. That inheritance, that's the presumption of this younger son. I don't want you. I just want your benefits. The benefits that come with your death. Therefore, Father, you're dead to me. Give me my benefits so that I can live as I please. Here and work this farm as you've asked. And in essence, of course, we know sadly this is what Israel has done to the Lord. They wanted to live as they pleased, but not enjoy the presence of the Father, the work of the Father. And as I've said, so much of Israel's history is reflected in our own context. We too have been gluttoned by grace. So much of the presence of the Word of God is close to us. And yet far too many here likewise treat the Father just as the Son has. We want His cash. We want His comfort. We want autonomy. We want it now. And we don't really want you, Father. I don't really want you. Amazing is what comes next. More amazing to come. But the Father gives the Son what He asks. He divides up the estate, gives His Son His fistful of cash. And we look in verse 13, and we see that it doesn't take him long, the son, to go off and do what he always wanted to do, apparently. To take off, to take a journey into the far country. Where he could pursue his own personal life. Personal happiness. What we see here, friends, is Jesus is clearly putting those sinners and tax collectors, he's putting them into the story. They are represented son. They are the younger brothers who had initially chosen to go off into the far country and lean into their personal liberty, their sensuality. Lean into whatever their senses said, do that. Be their true selves, we might say. In our day, we might say that they were sort of living for their freedom. One dictionary I saw this week said that freedom is defined is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Well, that's what this younger son had. No father, no brother, work. He's off on his own. Restraints, free to live as he pleased. Free to have the power to act, speak, or think however he wanted to. And what did he get him? Nothing. A little, little bit of pleasure for a while, but eventually nothing. We find that he squanders it all on reckless living. Jesus spends it all. He was a master, but he spends it all. And as if all of that wasn't enough, we find that a famine then comes amidst that spending of all. And so he has the modern notions of freedom only to find himself so desperate then what he finds he's himself doing is then going to feed pigs. All right, guys, now keep in mind, 
the second all of his audience that he's telling these stories to, both the sinners and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and the scribes, they all would have known that if the younger son found himself feeding pigs, they would have known pigs are unclean. Uh-oh, this has gone bad. And so as Jesus tells this story, we can imagine their reaction. And friends, you should know what I think Jesus means to teach us here is this is where life in the far country leaves you. This is where that definition of freedom leads you. This is what happens to all of us that treat the Heavenly Father as though He were dead. Take what benefits you have and go off, live unrestrained. Speak, act, and think as you please. Friend, you should know you're free to do that. But friends, you're not free from the consequences of those decisions. You're free to live that way, but you're not free from the consequences of those decisions any more than you are free from the consequences of gravity. You might say of gravity that it is nothing more than a social construct and then run off the side of a cliff and maybe experience a little bit of freedom, unrestraint for just a little bit, only to be dealt the stubborn reality of the consequences when you fall to your death on the valley floor. Jesus, friends, look at me. Jesus wants more for us. He wants more for us. He wants more for me and you. Not less, more. More than that. Take a look at what comes next. This is the hinge of the story. Remember, we've been taught to look for repentance and leading. That's what comes next. So there the son. Imagine him, right, sitting in the pigsty, realizing the gravity of his decision. He's sitting there in a pigsty, longing to be food of pigs. No one giving him anything. And look at verse 17. Here's the change. And he came to himself. That sentence has wrecked me this week. He came to himself. This is the moment of repentance. Do you see what, guys, do you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying that the decision, the son's decision to leave his father and live as he pleased was not himself. The boy was a son of his father. He was cared for. He was loved. He was provided for. And his decisions led him away from that status. And that eventually to the point where he found himself in a pigsty. This was not who he was. This was not himself. And so, friends, when we deny the Father and go off into the far country to live as we please, we might have some pleasure for a short time. But, friends, lifestyle is less than ourselves. Less than what God wants for us. It makes us more like beasts and less like humans created in the image of God. Jesus wants more for us. I love the way Thabiti Anyobwile says, he says, says it, he says, heaven finds repentance beautiful because it brings back to life those whom sin killed. What Jesus is telling us about the son 
coming to himself and then considering the return to the Father is Jesus telling us that repentance brings us to our actual true selves. Repentance rehumanizes us. Repentance redignifies us. Repentance reorients us to the road that, re- that the Redeemer made us to walk upon. So when the younger brother was out living for his own passions, friends, he wasn't free. He was the opposite of free. He was enslaved to himself. It was never the way that God would have designed it. The more the younger son lived for himself, the more he dehumanized himself until he came to himself, came to the reminder that he was his father's son and he could go back home. Guys, God made us to live for so much more than ourselves. He made us to live for Him. This is that instinct of us wanting to live for something more than ourselves. Here it is. He made us to live for more than ourselves. He made us to live for Him and for one another. For one another. We were created to image Him, not ourselves. And guys, this is why repentance is poetry. Because it reorients us to our humanity. Away from animalistic tendencies and to human tendencies. As the Father would say, away from death and into life. And that is just what the Father will go on to say in Jesus' story. Away from death, into life. And guys, this is the secret of the gospel. That actually really isn't a secret. We're not trying to keep it a secret. Matter of fact, we're doing the opposite of trying to keep it. We want all of you to know. The reality is everyone is bound by something. Everybody is. Don't be bound by self. Be bound by the love of the Father and live. Be bound by, being bound by self, guys, is too small of a vision for the world. It leads you to short-term pleasures, but only eventually long-term pain as we see in this younger son. God made us to live for more and repentance leads us back into the vision of being at home and the love of God. The thing that we were made to live for. Turning from sin and to Jesus liberates us because it binds us to the God that made us for himself. Want to image him to fulfill then our destiny which we are made for. And so when we turn from sin and to Jesus, yes, it's true, we are bound to live inside of the laws of God. But listen, His laws do not hold us back. They liberate us to human flourishing because that's the way God made us. That's the way God made the world. Isn't that what He said? Right? Genesis 1, 26, 27, I create, created mankind in the image of God. Then verse 28, be fruitful then, and multiply and fill the earth with worshipers of God. This was his intention, to live for something more. Live for him, live for neighbor. The laws of Christ are not killjoy commands. They are liberating guardrails that direct us to flourishing because they lead us home towards the Father. His laws are well-worn ancient paths that lead us back home. That's why, friend, there's so much joy in heaven and on earth for being found, which is where the story goes. Take a look. Verse 17. 
the son comes to himself. He realizes that the servants of the father's home have something to eat. So he decides in verse 18, go to his father. Circle that. To arise and go to his father. To arise and go to his father. Here's the moment of repentance. He comes to himself. He rises and turns around and goes to his father. His actions are manifesting this picture of repentance. You know, sometimes I've wondered, what seeking in this story like the other two stories? I believe it's right here. I believe this picture illustrates for us what the Spirit of God does. He awakens us to ourselves, turn around and go to the Father. Here is the Spirit seeking out the younger son. And as the son turns around and comes home, he's rehearsed this confession, which we'll get to in a moment. Back home. When he's making his way back home, the perspective of Jesus' story then turns from the son to the father. Now, the father sees the son off in the distance. He sees him in the horizon. And as the story says, he sees him a long way off. And as soon as he does, the father knows, my son's not dead. He's alive. He is alive. Notice the text there. It says that he sees and then he feels. See that? He sees. Then he feels compassion for his son. And what he runs. He sprints towards his son that is likely dressed in tattered clothes and is likely reeking with the stench of pig slop. But the father doesn't care. His son is home. He embraces his son. He kisses his son. And here we get the words of repentance. We've seen the action of repentance. Here's the words of repentance. Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. All of that is true. Everything he said there is true. Repentance recognizes guilt in two directions. Horizontally and ver vertically and horizontally. Repentance recognizes guilt against God, that's what he does, against heaven. And repentance recognizes guilt towards the victim of our sins. In this case, the Father. And then repentance recognizes and confesses the consequence that they understand they deserve. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Guilt towards God, guilt towards the victim, and then the consequence. But what's the Father's response? He's confessed it's the father's response. We should know by now, right? In those first two parables, we should expect what's going to happen. We should expect the father to send a text message out to his boys to let them know my son's alive. Come on over, big time barbecue, party time. Let's go. And that's exactly what we see. The father forgives. The father forgives. When you come back home, the father forgives. His son was lost. Now he's found. He was blind. But now he sees. Living guys is death. Living to the father. Living to, living to the father is life, is love, is joy. And notice the father does not, don't lose sight of this. The father does not treat his son as a slave as the son might expect. But instead he treats him as a son. 
In other words, he gives him grace upon grace. Listen, this is how we, listen, this is how we are treated. Father, and we understand we're not worthy to be in your home, God. And yet he treats me and you like his sons and his daughters. And again, he's happy that you have been found. And he's glad you're in his home. And he gives us the best robe. He bling, no, no plastic rings for us, right? Bling, he gives that to us. And he gives us a barbecue, barbecue beef we see in the story. And in part of the story, we can almost hear the laughter as he brings them home arm in arm into the house. We see almost in our minds the tears. We can smell the taste of that banquet table. Reconciliation by repentance. Joy and freedom by turning from self to the Father. This is why those sinners and tax collectors are finding a home. Because of grace, because of joy, they found joy in coming home to Jesus. Listen, look at me. They found death in the far country. They find life in him. They were repenting and coming home, confessing guilt, finding forgiveness in the family and in the joy of God. But just as the story seems to be drawing to a close, he has placed the sinners and the tax collectors in the story, right? But he's got to now put the religious elite in the story. We remember, remember those religious elite, they were the ones that were grumbling about all their younger brothers coming home. Look at verse 25. The older son, he's out there in the field. He never left like his older brother did. This is the, the Pharisees and the scribes. The older makes his way back. heard some ruckus. Maybe he smells, man, that smells good. What is that? Makes his way home. And he comes in, and when he gets close, he, he hears the music. He, hears, he smells that wonderful food. And he pulls up a servant, and he says, what's going on? And the servant says, listen, your younger brother, he was lost, but now he's found. He's safe and sound. Safe and sound, safe and healthy, because he came back home. Well, how will the older brother respond? Look at verse 28. The, the older brother refuses to go in. Said about the joy of repentance. Remember that? It's from turning from sin to the father. It's going back home. The older brother won't go in. And so graciously, the father comes out to the son, just as Jesus has come out to the scribes and Pharisees to entreat them to come in. But the older brother won't go in. He grumbles. The older son is too focused, once again, on himself. What he did do, what he didn't do, and what he doesn't get. He plays the game of comparison. And he looks... As he does this, he looks upon his father with disdain. Author Leon Morris writes that we can almost hear the older son saying of his father, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Pride, entitlement, self-righteousness keep the older brother from the joy of repentance. Like the scribes and Pharisees, this older brother thinks his obedience justifies him before his father. But listen, it doesn't. It only winds up keeping him outside the home of his father, 
away from the joyful celebration of the angels. And so we see, friends, that the Pharisees are experts in identifying sin to other people, blind to their own sins. Keeping them once again from the banquet table of God. So as it turns out, there's not one, but two ways to be lost. The one we popularly know, but like the younger brother in his sensuality, treating the father as though he were dead, going off into the far country, living as you please. That's the one way or the other way. Staying home. Appealing to your own pride and self-righteousness. Appealing to what you think you deserve. Both of these places find themselves away from the love of the Father. Away from home. Away from joy. Away from life. All of us have been there. Maybe some of us are still there now. Maybe you find yourself identifying with that young You've treated the Heavenly Father as though He were dead. You want His benefits, but you don't want His ways. You want His wealth. You want His world. You want it in such a way as... And so you find yourself maybe in this moment in the far country. Maybe you've left your father. You've went into the far country. Maybe phone or laptop this week. Ships this week. Maybe the way that you've thought or dealt or acted in some ways. Squandering this week the wealth of God's grace and mercy to you. Dehumanizing yourself and others. Maybe you've gone into the far country of sexuality, of idolatry, uh, passivity, slothfulness. Maybe you've bought into the notion of freedom that leaves you enslaved to yourself. Or maybe the money hasn't run out yet. Maybe the friends haven't left you yet. Maybe the famine. But you find yourself a little hungry for some meat. Maybe this is your moment of the shepherd finding you. Listen, if that shepherd, he's so happy to see you. You're why he came. Come to him. He's safe in his arms. Come to him. To yourself. That is to say, come to your being a daughter of God. The son of God. Turn around. Come back home. Remember, repentance is an invitation into the joy of your master. Is repentance hard? Yeah, it's really hard. But it's worth it. Jesus has found your door, friend. He's knocking. Will you answer? Will you go to him? Friend, turn from your sin and turn towards the Savior. And listen, all of that mess that you did off in the far country, you trust Jesus to pay it all. That's what he did on the cross and in the resurrection. He pays the sins, that rebellion in the far country. He pays it for you and then he transfers to you. Jesus transfers to you his sonship of the Father. Now you're in the family. That's why this is so much joy. You've been brought in. Turn from sin. Trust and treasure the shepherd that paid your debts. Listen and also sought you out and brought you home. 
Trust Him. Feel the embrace of your Father. Feel His kisses. Know His joy. Listen for the sound of the joys as they sing about your repentance and coming home. Celebrate. And then listen, don't lose sight of this. Celebrate bring others in. This is a corporate joy. This is the beauty of the church. This is why we get fired up at baptism. Here it is. He's come home. Listen, friend, don't stay out in the far country. Your shepherd is coming after you to return to come home. And lastly, for those of us that have stayed home, the elder brothers, the kind of self-righteous folks, for those of us that are tempted to disdain or envy the Father's favor towards others that we think we're better than, the invitation for you is the same. Repent. Turn around. Come home. Come to yourself. Come home. Don't stand outside the home of your heavenly Father and think that you're more worthy than the ones that are inside. Confess your pride. Confess your arrogance. Confess your self-righteousness. Submit yourself to the Father and live. Come into the party. Enjoy the grace of the Father and be free. Free from the love of yourself. Free to uh, free from the love of self-importance, free from your grumblings, free from your slavery to yourself, and free to the love and the grace of the Father and the love of neighbors that are also rejoicing. Repentance, friends, is a call to joy. It's a call to life. Don't stay outside. Come inside. Come home. Turn away from sin and turn to Jesus to save you and receive the forgiveness of God. And this is a call, guys, for all of us. Remember, Martin Luther told us the life of the, the Christian life is a life of repentance. We're always repenting and believing. And as we do, there is joy. We need to turn around every single week, every single day. And know that when you do, you walk those ancient paths of the Father to get you back home to God. And this is the God that we serve. This is what He's like. He's beautiful. He's forgiving. He's gracious. He's joyful. Come home to Him and find life. Let's pray together. Let's go to Him now. Father, maybe some of us in this moment are coming to ourselves. Maybe some right now, God, you are finding. Maybe now the angels are rejoicing at home as they watch this or here. We rejoice that you are a God that seeks sinners and brings them home. Teach us, God, to not try to get away from you. Teach us to come home to you and to find life and joy in you. Teach us to live a life of repentance. Teach us to live inside of your laws, your love, your commands, because they're good. Teach us to live in the joy of the Father. We love you, God. We thank you that you sent your Son to come and seek us out and bring us home. We pray in his name and his authority, not our own. We pray it in his name. Amen.